This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Well, good morning, good morning everybody. It is Sunday, it is sunny and it is the gardening show. My name is A.B. Bishop and I am joined in the studio today by three regular regulars. <laughs> we have Stephen Ryan from Dick Sonia Rare Plants, we have Meryl Johnson from Seedscape and we have Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Good morning everybody. Good morning Good, all. good morning A.B. and everybody out there. And good morning. <laughs> what a beautiful sunny day. It's a great garden. Weekend. It is, isn't it? And I've been doing my tax. Oh, oh no. no! Inside. Oh, no. <laughs> Pen- penance for not doing it on time. Yeah, oh, dear. <laughs> very, very naughty. Yes, but it, it is. Um, spring has definitely sprung. It has. And uh, yeah, I was driving around yesterday, and I was in Hillsville actually, and I'd been there last week, and everything was still bare. And uh, there's deciduous trees through the main street, and this week. It's all green. Yeah. Yes. Just it's so quick. In fact, I reckon I can see the leaves on our silver birches, which I have to admit I can see whilst lying in bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they're getting longer every day. Mm. The leaves are so fast. You're watching them grow. I am. Watching them grow while you drink your tea in bed. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds but perfect. not this morning. <laughs> not this morning. No, we're all up and about early. And oh, yes. uh, so this time next month it'll be dark when we drive in. But mm. uh, for mm. now it was, it was quite nice, wasn't it? Beautiful that, morning. Uh, oh, it's interesting. This morning I was driving down the mountain highway. I came to the session two weeks ago. And that, uh, that drive two weeks ago was still rather dark. This morning... Half light, and all the ravens were out, of course. And, and the ravens got into the habit of checking all the uh, the tourist road and the mountain highway first thing every morning, or rather in the half light. So about 20, 30 ravens were walking around the road. Oh, they're so smart, those birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah lo- looking for well, breakfast, breakfast, yes. breakfast. <laughs> tidying up, yes. yeah. rubbish patrol. Yes. All those people that have um, thrown out half of their takeaway as they you know, mm. drive home mm. at three o'clock in the morning. Yep. Isn't that annoying? People chuck out rubbish. Actually, you know what I find even worse? I was driving down the colder t- today, and it's been there for a week and a half or something, but a whole truckload of building scraps somebody has dumped on the side of the road. Oh, that's um, it, uh, quite, in fact, it looks like a double load, a, a really big semi-load full of 
plaster and bits of wood and tin and what have you, and they've dumped it on the side of the road instead of taking it into a proper place yeah, to have recycle. it dealt with. Yes. And so somebody at some point is going to have to go in there and clean up this awful mess that some very ignorant and nasty person has uh, decided to save money and just dump it on the side of the road. So just awful. Disappointing. Oh, I thought we were beyond all of that sort of stuff, but it seems Certainly to be getting worse, not. I reckon. No, where, where I am, we often see... Piles of furniture that people have just decided they would like to leave mm. there mm. for the possums to make a home of. Inhabit. I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. It's, it's just dreadful. It I hate a, these people who are really, yeah. really messy like that. Don't need no, it. In England, it's called fly tipping, and you see signs up in this beautiful countryside, no fly tipping. <laughs> fly tipping? Fly tipping. Yeah, you fly past, dump your stuff yeah. and keep going. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. I'm, and, I'm thinking and, of flies, and, of course. Yeah. And, and you think, uh, do we really need signs telling people please Not to do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like when you work in an office and there's signs in the kitchen, please clean up after yourself. Mm. <laughs> Come on, guys, just wash your plate. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite easy. Oh, oh goodness. Well, we're surrounded by... Lots and lots of plants this morning, yep. which is fantastic. Now mine are up on the um, yes, I saw um, on the got my social eye. media. Got my things. eye on that one. Oh yes, that little fellow. We'll talk about him later yep. or her. Um, <coughs> and so yes, yeah, so if people want to see what they look like when I'm discussing them at whatever point we do. They can go in and look at the pictures of the plant as well. So yeah. makes I, it easy. I think it's a really good innovative thing to have done, I think. And thank you, Liz, for Liz putting that effort in for us with our social media. Um, so, you know, the day before I get my plants out, I can take a picture of each one. I just message them off to Liz with the names underneath them and she pops them up on her social media. It's fabulous. I thought you were very organised, Stephen. Yeah, well, I try to be. Yes, Don't good. always work as well as that. <laughs> um, I have had mornings, not recently, but I have had mornings when I've been coming down here that I'm out in the dark with a torch trying to find something to bring down with me to talk about so I have done that in the past but uh, and are you ever surprised at what you bring in <laughs> sometimes oh, oh did I really have that in flower anyway um, and yeah today's a real mixed bag of stuff I haven't got any sort of theme to what I bought in this morning it's just things that I noticed in the nursery yesterday and I thought oh that could be something nice to talk about and so it's, yeah it's a bit of a mixed bag but yeah I, I had to race out with the torch this morning but it was for a purpose I had to make sure I opened the hothouse doors because yesterday I potted up all my little tomato seedlings. Yeah. And they're, but they're still in the shelter of, of the nice, you know, sort of mm -hmm. igloo. Yep. We can't put our tomatoes out in our district definitely until cup weekend. Yeah. But yesterday I got my little seedlings and I put them into six-inch pots or 14 centimetres in the new money and uh, planted them deeper than mm. they had emerged from their little seedling punnets and uh, gave them some, some seaweed fishy product just to boost them on their way, gave them a kiss, and I hope that they'll <laughs> grow like mad. Next week I'm going to give them some liquid fertiliser just to urge them on a little bit so that they're going to be nice, big and advanced by going out day cup weekend mm. because last year I got no tomatoes and this year I'm a woman on a mission. Uh, I think that was the case across the board. Yeah. I didn't even put tomatoes in. 
I just you just knew it. Well, wasn't when the, be when the, the La Nina just kept going, and I thought well, in our area there's no point to try and grow summer vegetables if we don't get enough sun. Yes. Uh, I mean, my sweet corn was a waste of time last year. I didn't put any tomatoes in. Um, I don't know what else I put in. I mainly just did lots of leafy greens. I thought, I'd, you know, at least I can grow you can rely those on sort them. of things. Yes. And um, um, so I didn't bother with most of my summer crop last year. But, yeah, this year I have to get my act together and do it properly because it looks like we're in for a sunny, warm one. Yes. Um, so as long as we've got plenty of water coming out the hose, we should be able to grow good veggies this year. Yeah, I've, Alina, yeah. Mm. I've got a glut of broccoli at the moment. If anyone's got any great recipes, soup, <laughs> broccoli, definitely soup. Yeah. We've done broccoli soup in many different guises. <laughs> it's funny how that happens, we've, isn't it? We've sort of char-grilled them with little bits of anchovy and, yeah. and nuts on. But any other ideas will be gratefully received because I reckon I've got another... 10 or 12 heads to go in this lot. Oh, goodness <laughs> gracious. Two and a half months' worth. Yes. <laughs> that sounds good. Meryl, do you know what tomatoes you've got? Well, so far, I have I have to have romas every year. Mm-hmm. And I confess straight away, ladies and gentlemen, I am not the cook in the family. My mm. husband, David, <laughs> does all the cooking superbly. He cooks like an angel. But I have to produce the goods, you see. Uh, so, anyway... He needs lots of Roma tomatoes because he does sauce and chutneys and, you mm. know, likes to make passata and freeze up um, tomato uh, puree for, for use down the track. So lots of Romas have gone in uh, to their pots yesterday and I've done some of the old French variety, Rouge de Mamonde, mm-hmm. which has got fabulous flavour. It's not quite as productive as some of the modern hybrids, but... It's enough for our little family. So yeah, I was going to say, you're not feeding a, a no, horde. No, we're so. not feeding the whole district. So it, But it's just got exquisite flavour. So done that one. And we always do cherry tomatoes mm. because we're in a, a, you know, a cooler district. And if we don't get one of those good tomato summers, at least we can rely on the, yes, the, the little cherries. cherries. And they're lovely and sweet and the grandkids love them. They just pop them straight in the mouth off the bush and... I don't care how many they eat. It's all good for them. And they go on and on, don't and they? And they do yep. go on. And they're the earliest ones for us. Mm. And we also like the, the little yellow pear shape, the pear drop ones that are very low acid. Mm-hmm. They're also lovely and sweet. And, and being smaller um, and uh, indeterminate, Variety, they just go on and on and on with production. So no matter what the weather, we can always rely on the little cherries and the the yellow pear drops. Yeah. So um, how do you treat your tomato um, plants? Like, do you train them up a trellis, or do you? Yeah, we do have to tie them up because yep. we're exposed to winds. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we just get some of those wire cone shaped frames. Sometimes we have to put in high rise extensions. <laughs> yeah. <where. laughs> With uh, poles, uh, but they are all tied up, and it also keeps them more open. If you can tie them out to a, you know, a co- an outwards shape. I'm holding up my hand. Yeah, which know. is really good on radio. It works really well. <laughs> so I'm, I'm making a big cone shape in the air, and I'm tying the branches out to those outside posts so that we've got plenty of air circulation in the middle. And the poles come in really handy for putting the nets over to stop the parrots from eating them all before (laughs) we get there. (laughs) 
Yes, it's not just the weather, it's the, no. the critters as well that one has to deal with and manage <laughs> one way or t'other. It's not just the parrots, mm. it's little birds, you know, little silver eyes. They love to get in there and munch on them as well. So, yeah. It's so always something good. wanting to eat whatever we've got, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle for it all It is a battle, yeah. But what fun. It <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, Jeremy, any veggies going in for you? I will, we'll be popping our tomatoes in, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, no, all sorts, but uh, it's not really my field. It's uh, more Valerie's, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Valerie's so, so I look produce. after the rest of the garden, yeah. but the the, uh, the potager is Valerie's um, project. So, yeah, what about well, any ornamental kales and things like that through the um, ornamental garden? Um, we have used them, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, Oh, on and off. We're, we're, um, at the moment, I suppose we're well. We're, we're still waiting for things to emerge, so, and, and just seeing how the uh, the borders have rearranged themselves from last <laughs> year to this year. So we, so I mean, up until two weeks ago, it was still pretty cold, um, and um, we'd just finished cutting back over the last few days. So yeah, I'd like to just stand and watch everything for about. Uh, three, four weeks, mm-hmm. and then away we go. Yep. And we have a list of plants that need attention, and then we wait to see what needs rearranging. What so it, it, it's pretty busy from from uh, around about now through until, what, the end of October, early November, mm-hmm. when we're mulching. So, yeah, no, it's, it's full on all through spring. And there's a big rearrange to the nursery as well, so... <laughs> Starting on starting tomorrow at half past eight. So, phew, no, <laughs> <laughs> lots going on. Well, yes, at least it'll lots, be a nice day lots. for it. Yep. Yes. Um, it won't no, be doing it's, it in it's, mud and no. wet. And yeah. Things. Well, exactly. So, you know, mm. the, all we can do is sit back and enjoy the spring, and then hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah I think yeah. the main thing is the dams are full, yes. and we much more prepared for a for a um, warm season than we were a few years ago. So we'll see. Beautiful. Well, our asparagus is on the move. Yes, yes we've been eating too. asparagus. Yeah. Had some last night. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah, we did a risotto two nights ago um, with our own asparagus, which was lovely. So, uh, yes, it's a. I like those sort of. I call those sort of vegetables sort of. Um, they're sort of the luxury vegetables. They take up a lot of space. Yes. They take a lot of time to get them. A lot of to, feed. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things going on. But there's something extra special about it. Yes. And they do taste better. Oh, they do. When taste you've picked a them straight out of the garden and you take them in, yep. um, as opposed to that bunch of you asparagus. actually take them in. Oh, yeah. that's, ve- that's very good, Stephen. Yeah, yeah well, they've got to go into some, <laughs> some recipe. Yeah, so yeah, so um, yeah, so we we picked some asparagus the other day. The other luxury vegetable that I enjoy growing is, of course, the globe artichoke. Oh yes, mm. they I are. adore them, and I mean so they're I. seriously space taking, yes. and you don't really get. A huge production for the space they and take up. And you've got to get your day right because yeah. they're either coming ready, coming ready. Oops, oh, they're over. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I love them. I think they're the most wonderful vegetable. So I, I do dedicate a fair bit of my vegetable garden to some of those sort of luxury vegetables yes. that uh, uh, are just extra special to have in your own garden. And mm. seasonal, isn't mm. it? Nice to get those tastes of a season that mm. you look forward to yeah. all year. Oh, yes, the absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There is something about asparagus first thing in the morning. In fact, one of the great memories of my life was uh, visiting um, 
someone at Yelling Up who was growing a, a couple of acres of asparagus for the uh, for the restaurant market in Perth. And um, I was staying there overnight, and um, we were up at um, half past five in the morning <laughs> picking asparagus. <laughs> uh, it was right in the middle of the season, and uh, and a, uh, uh, a shipment went off to the Perth restaurants. It went off every single morning. But we were walking along picking this asparagus, and, and up until then, I think I'd only ever eaten tinned asparagus. <laughs> oh, oh, dear, Jeremy, I'm not sure I would admit to that. No, this was a long time ago. This was a seriously long time ago. And uh, and as you say, asparagus straight from the ground. Oh. I, it was unbelievable. It's yeah, a flavors. different vegetable, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I mean, canned is... asparagus is only good for asparagus rolls. Which yeah, they specialise in in New Zealand. Yeah. Everywhere you go and have morning tea in the garden. They always present you with asparagus rolls, which yeah. is a delight. I do. I do it for our opera soiree in the garden that we have every year. I make masses of asparagus rolls, and everybody thinks it's so sort of retro. <laughs> <laughs> it is. All right, we'll come back to your story. We're just going to go to Ray, who's answered the call for broccoli. Good morning, uh, Ray. Yeah, good day there. Um, actually, uh, when you're talking about asparagus, there. Uh, last night we had a, a potato bake with asparagus and bacon through it. Oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, and a little bit of, um, oh, um, I forgot what it's called. Uh, the uh, I've got it right here. Uh, I think it's the paprika, a bit of paprika through it too. Yeah, yes. cheese and a bit of uh, cream and rah, rah, rah. You're making my mouth water. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> but... There are quite a few occasions where I've got broccoli in the garden. I'll slice it up in like little broccolettes and uh, swap it, swap out the um, asparagus for it. You know, so yes. you put the you put the broccoli through your potato bake. Oh, that would be really nice too, with a really yeah. good creamy cheese. That would be delicious. Yeah. So uh, that's. Do you, do you uh, roast I'd them do. in the oven first, or or just parboil no. them? No, just little no, tiny. No, no I, we, you cut them up into a broccolette and then you make, maybe make them a little bit thinner because you want yes. to have it a very flat sort of a setup yes. with your potato bake. And I tend to make it about a two hour bake, you know. Yes, just because, slowly. Uh, you, you've got to get through the, you've got to get the heat right through the, potato, the potatoes. Yes. Um, Sometimes I'll even throw, steam them for about 10 minutes after I've sliced them and then put layers of them, you know. Um, sounds like quite a procedure, but, uh, you know, that's what Delicious. it's all about. Exactly. <laughs> it's the journey, isn't it? It's the same as gardening. <laughs> you, yeah. you never finish because you always dream up a new project just so you can well, go on the journey. Well, the interesting thing is um, the other one that, I just thought I'd give this a try because I, I was a bit tired of having just toasted sandwiches for lunch uh, <laughs> every Saturday. So I thought, I'm going to pull out those backhand of baked beans. But I thought, now, hang on, I've got a little bit of ham. I'll cut up some ham and put it in the baked beans. But I've got, a, I've got fresh broccoli, uh, kale in the garden, so I chopped up that finely and I put that through it and heated it up. And it just took away that dominant bean flavour going right through. Yes. You know, so I had that on toast. You know, so you can always do those little creative things, you know. Thank you so much for the ideas. I shall pass them on to David, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, uh, I've had, 
I just to mention about the war against the possums in my garden. Uh, I, of course, I've got brassicas, which I actually have to... I've got wire cages and I've covered it so they can't get into... Because they don't mind eating kale and uh, things like broccoli. I love their broccoli and cauliflower. <laughs> but that means that I've had a lot of spare extra garden. That I, I tried doing... I did seed potatoes for the first time probably ever. And I'm glad I did because I couldn't believe the quality, the flavour of the uh, yes. sweet potatoes. Mm. Yes. It's just astonishing how good they are. I, I had the pink eyes in and they were just so sweet, you know, like as far as flavour profile compared to your, uh, you know, run of the milk potato, which doesn't really have any flavour, actually, if you buy the ones you buy. By the time they've be been stored for a very long time, and mm. yes, yeah. And yeah. the pink eyes are so versatile, aren't they? You can use them for so many different purposes. Yeah, well, I, uh, I tend to sort of accumulate buying them over the, the winter in bags, the potatoes, and but now that they've all gone out, I had quite a few left over, and I've got these sort of like uh, leaf mould uh, piles that I, I, I make up, and I've realised I've got nowhere else to put the, these potatoes but put them in the leaf mould, and just uh, hopefully they'll sprout through that, you know? I'm sure they you know will. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Oh, very good, Ray. Well, thank you for yep. those amazing tips. Yeah, not a worry. Good on you. Have a, have a good Enjoy. rest of your Sunday. You too. Okay. Bye for Bye. now. Bye. All right. Well, I am, we're already getting some texts coming through, but I'm going to get to the community announcements oh, yes. first and just whiz through them because mm-hmm. I've got a feeling um, it's going to be a busy morning. Yes. And we've all, you guys have brought in lots of plants. I'd love to get to them all. So let me whiz through these community announcements. Uh, first up, we've got the Angair, which is the Anglesey Aries Inlet Society for Preservation of Flora and Fauna. They have got their wildflower and art show on today uh, down at Anglesey. Um, it's, um, they've got fantastic displays of indigenous flora. They have got guided wildflower walks and um, arts and crafts and hooded plover activities. It's only $5 for adults and $2 for students and pensioners and children are free. Um, so just hop on to the Angair uh, website, which I, I'm sorry, I don't have it. It came in a bit late, um, but you can just Google it, Angair uh, Wildflower Show, and it popped up straight away. Uh, the Melbourne Clivia Group, um, who have about 70 members and they meet monthly at the East Burwood Uniting Church, they have got their expo on Saturday, September the 23rd from 10am to 4pm at the East Burwood Uniting Church, 347 Blackburn Road the corner of Burwood Highway. They're showcasing rare and beautiful flowering clavias, propagating and growing demonstrations. There will be plants and seed for sale, many that are unavailable from general nurseries, vast array of flower colours, mature plants and seedlings. Afternoon tea is available. That's $5 entry and $4 for seniors card. So that's the melbourneclaviagroup.org.au if you want to find out more information. Also on Saturday the 23rd of September is the Alpine Garden Society of Victoria Conference and their address, if you need it, is agsvicgroup.org 
And uh, the conference, it's a whole day conference and there's lots of exciting things going on. And, um, yes, I think uh, Val is attending, is she not, Jeremy? Oh, she is. Yes. yes. This is a seriously ambitious (laughs) conference, so it's it's quite exciting. Yes, so Mm. our lovely Jane Tonkin uh, is one of many uh, guests uh, presenters speaking, as is Craig Wilson, uh, Matt Reed, Aaron Condon, Alan Ayton, Viv Condon, John Mitchell and Russell Lark. Um, so they'll all be talking about um, alpines, obviously. And then there's um, practical things that you can do in the afternoon. I'm building a trough alpine garden mm-hmm. um, because I have a spare trough that needs something in it. Yeah. And um, thought I'd fill it with cute little alpine plants. Um, it's $120 per person for members and $150 for non-members. And you can also attend uh, the morning talks uh, virtually and that's $95 per person and I feel like this would be one which would be extremely good value for mm. the speakers that are there and if you, so if you can't make it um, you can yeah just hop online and attend um, so that is the Alpine Garden Society of Victoria conference all happening at Sky High. All happening at Sky High. Indeed. Thanks, Jeremy. Yes, yes. at Mount Dandenong. <laughs> Actually, yes. so lovely views as well. <laughs> yes, Ray asked me yesterday. So where is it? Where are you going? I said, like, Oh yeah, better find that out. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Get to Saturday Useful morning. Thing to know. Yeah. Drive around. Um, yeah, must be here somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Also happening. There's a lot going on next weekend. 23rd and 24th of September, the Yay Garden Expo from 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. at the Yay Sale Yards at Flat Lead Road. Uh, you can hop on to yaygardenexpo.com.au. Uh, it's $10 entry and under 16 free. The Australasian Native Orchid Society have their spring show on the 23rd and 24th of September. Australian orchid displays, orchid sales and orchid-related art at the good old Mount Waverley Community Centre, which just must be filled with plants every weekend. It does seem to be, They have so much on there. Um, Corner of Miller, Crescent and Stevenson Road. So that's the Australasian Native Orchid Society spring show. The Global Gardens of Peace have, um, they've got a series of conversations and this particular conversation is The Forest Maker featuring Tony Ronaldo on Wednesday the 20th of September and Tony served as an agriculturalist and missionary in Niger Republic from 1981 to 1999. He oversaw long-term rural development and periodic large-scale relief programs. Through these, he contributed to a transformation in how Nigerians farm and the reforesting of over 6 million hectares of land, which still inspires re-greening movements globally. Tony shares the discovery, promotion, impact and spread of farmer-managed natural regeneration, a farmer-led method or, um, of regenerating trees, and his thoughts on the need and potential for this type of program here in Australia. So this is on Wednesday the 20th of September at 143 Brunswick Street in Fitzroy. Um, it's on the first floor and it's via stairs only, so unfortunately it's not wheelchair friendly. 
Members, $35 and non-members, $40 and doors open at 5.30 and the session starts at 6. So that's the Global Gardens of Peace Conversations, The Forest Maker on Wednesday the 20th. So this Wednesday coming. Um, This is an open garden through Open Gardens Vic. So there is a double pass available if you would like uh, to win this double pass, you can call us on 94190155. This is at this is Parnham Farm at 288 Kula Road, Muraduck, Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th of September from 10 a.m. till 4:30 p.m. For five and a half years, the owner Vasily Skinner. Um, has just spent on creating projects and they have culminated into a pleasing, meandering outdoor adventure for a gorgeous farm garden. Uh, There's a large, deep dam near the house and Vasily's vision has been to create a garden on the dam banks with the water as a focal point. The expansive planted areas of native and non-native plants unifies the house and the natural landscape beyond. There will be a coffee cart on site on both days. Entry is $10, uh, students $6 and under 18 free. So you can give us a call on 94190155 if you'd like to win a double pass. Otherwise, you can hop on to opengardensvictoria.org.au for more information. Um, oh, this is um, a couple of um, talks that I'm giving. <laughs> Wednesday the 27th of September from 6 to 8pm, um, the Book Bird Bookshop presents um, an in-conversation with myself and landscape designer Philip Withers, um, essentially chatting about our new book, Naturescapes, which was launched during the week. And it is held at KO Creative Studio in Geelong. It's $33 and that includes wine or non-alcoholic drinks and cheese. For tickets, you can go to theko.com.au. And on Thursday, the 28th of September, celebrating Biodiversity Month, um, I have a workshop about habitat, increasing biodiversity in your backyard. Um, where we will be uh, obviously talking about all the different habitat elements that um, bring not only bring in the critters but support them to actually hang around and drawing up a space. So if you come in, you can come in with an area of your garden in mind. doesn't have to be big and we will draw that up with the relevant plants. And that is a free workshop. Um, you can go to – it's in Cranbourne West Community Hub in Cranbourne – and you can go to eventbrite.com.au and search for Habitat Increasing Biodiversity in Your Backyard. The RMIT University Design Hub Gallery has got an exhibition on which I thought, well, actually Emma thought might um, interest our listeners. It's called Wild Hope Conversations for a Planetary Commons. And I must confess, it did take me a little bit of reading and rereading and rereading to work work it all out. But it, essentially, yeah, it, it seems like a beautiful uh, exhibition, just a real sort of... Um, thought tank for want of a better phrase uh, around climate change and that's on until the 29th of September. Wild Hope invites you to embrace a radical shift towards planetary thinking where place-based 
community living is intimately linked with sustaining our environments, showcasing visionary works by artists, designers and creative practitioners who are embracing a shift towards this planetary thinking in innovative ways. It's at the RMIT Place Lab in Melbourne, Monday to Friday from 12 to 4. If you'd like more info, hop on to designhub.rmit.edu.au. Um, moving forward into October, on Friday the 13th of October is the Royal Talbot Sensory Garden Tour from 9.30am to 1pm and this is a garden that is designed and managed by our lovely Stephen Wells. It's $55 for members and $75 for non-members and a percentage of the sale will go towards supporting these gardens. So for more information you can go to tha.org.au And now I'm just going to read a bit of a list of things that are coming up instead of reading them all out. Uh, We've got the Mount Macedon Garden Lovers Fair coming up 7th and 8th of October. 14th and 15th, Lardner Park Garden and Home Expo. 21st of October to 7th of November, Country Farm Perennials and Seedscape Open Garden Fortnight. Ooh, that's it. Did you know that was on, Mara? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, 21st and 22nd of October, we've got the Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne Plant Sale. 28th and 29th of October, Fernie Creek Hort Society Flower Festival. 28th and 29th, we've got Alexandra Open Gardens. So... There is a lot going on. Mm. Are we going to have time in our own gardens? I know you have to say no to some things, don't you? You have to be very picky about what what you go to. Yeah, otherwise you're out all the time. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and you don't don't become a gardener. So, yeah, I've definitely started saying no to more things because I'm like, I'm turning into a theoretical gardener. It's annoying me. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. you've got to get your hands dirty. Got to get hands dirty. All right, so let's get to some questions that have been texted through. Um, first of all, should you let an aloe vera flower or take off the spike? Mm. Yes. <laughs> uh, you don't have to take off the spikes. I mean... No, it's not going to die. It's not going to die and it's not going to make any real difference to the vigour of the plant, really. So Enjoy. if you want to let them flower, let them flower. won't do any harm. Great. Thank you. Easy. Um, Joe from Cheltenham has, I'm not really sure about this, there's an app apparently by the name of Snap, Solve and Send. Um, it says you can send a photo in and they, oh, he must be talking about what we were moaning about at the start of the show where people dump rubbish. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this Snap, Solve and Send, you can send a photo in and they will direct it to the appropriate council to clean the clean up the problem. Mm. Oh, that oh, sounds good. very good. good. Tip. Very yep. useful app. Thanks for that, Joe. Fantastic. And Cheryl has messaged in saying, I would like to try marcotting. Could you please tell me what I should use as the media? Do I use rooting powder? When to do it? And the best species of plants to give a try for success. So mm. this is aerial layering she's talking about. Mm. Basically, yes. Yeah. I, I th- I'd just be experimenting with it. But, um, you know, anything that can be struck from cuttings, you could probably mark hot. So, um, you know, any plant like that, have a crack at it. Um and rhododendrons are really good to yeah. do that way. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I think uh, the nurseries did quite a bit of this uh, two generations ago, and and 
not in the last <laughs> it's a very time-consuming form it's a, of propagating yeah and yeah the average nursery probably wouldn't be doing it because you don't get an awful lot back for the time that's involved in in doing the job so if there's another way around it uh, I think nurseries have tended to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I mean, an example you mentioned rhododendrons, Meryl. Uh, we, we have a collection of arboreum rhododendrons which are all flowering, and my understanding is they will not grow from cuttings. No, they're hopeless from cuttings. And and, and so they they do need uh, some other technique, and, mm. and, and most probably that's where these were propagated. So that that's yes. why they're such a rare plant, which is a great shame because they, they're, they're actually quite heat tolerant. Yeah. They grow beautifully through melon. Ours are just unbelievable at the moment. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, try and buy one. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I I think there's one nursery. Uh, yes, layering them mm. uh, back in the 1980s. Yeah. They closed out and no one's gone near the I subject know, ever since. And it's the same with some of the the lovely hybrids like the Loderi rhododendrons that just won't strike from cuttings either. And uh, they were always grafted. You know, yeah. So uh, I know after the Ash Wednesday bushfires up at Mount Macedon where gardens have been burnt through that had collections of rhododendrons in them, because a lot of them had been grafted, the understocks came up, not the original rhododendron. So a lot of gardens ended up with an awful lot of rhododendron ponticum and white pearl yeah. um, <laughs> because that's what they used as understocks. Which, which is what we have. We've got two or three areas of suckering rhododendron. Which has obviously started off as something else altogether. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's quite difficult to deal with. Mm. I wonder if Cheryl's got a particular plant in mind mm. that she would like to do, and maybe we could describe the technique so that um, if people wanted to do it for some of these really rare shrubs that they can't get any other way, at least they'd know how to do it. Yeah, go for it, Meryl. She's throwing it to me now. Everyone's pointing at each other. Yeah. Or you can hop on YouTube and watch it. Yeah, there is actually quite a lot of stuff on YouTube. Some of it I wouldn't actually take as as gospel. There's some fairly weird rubbish going on out there in the in the internet world and and things people are putting up. And sometimes I lose lose my cool and and go in and comment on some things I've seen. You know, starting cuttings off in a banana and all sorts of nonsense that's going on out. Some of the things that is going on, uh, but there are some firms selling a sort of a, a ball-shaped container that you can use for that sort of work. So instead of having to sort of fiddle with, with um, black with plastic with and all that and taping and stuff, you can actually buy these sort of balls that will go round the branch. They have a the hinge tree. on them. Yeah, they have yep. a hinge on them, and you can sort of just click them into place. Yeah. Uh, and then you just uh, well, you've obviously got to uh, damage the stem, so you can wound Stephen, the stem. Do you- yeah. Advocate just oh yeah, yeah. You taking a take peeling, a slice out, a peeling yeah. off the, uh, the so stem. that you're exp- exposing some cambium. It may well be worthwhile using a rooting powder, so a hormone like a, that, because anything powder. that's really hard to strike. And if you're going down that route to try and air layer something, um, then you've probably got to put all your eggs into that basket and try and do all the things you can think to do uh, and then you just pack it with some um, sphagnum or peat or and nice uh, and moist yeah keep it nice and moist you'd have to check it somewhat regularly because it's pretty hard to get a complete seal, seal. Yeah. Um, that's where the, the grafting tape comes yeah, in yeah yes that, that can be quite useful for that sort of thing and then you need to have a fair bit of patience because it takes quite a long time for some things to produce a root system um, but look it's it's fun to have a crack at so it is fun I remember doing it at school and yeah. getting very excited when yeah. it worked. Can't I can't remember what we did roots. it on. Yeah. 
Can't actually remember what we did it on, though. Yeah. There's some things that will almost strike despite you. I mean, you try doing it with a, a rubber tree, for instance, sake, so and uh, it, I'm sure it will take really easily. Uh, so there's some plants that, uh, yeah, will send out roots almost without, you know, trying. Any inducement. Yeah, so, yeah. So worthwhile having a crack at. But you're right, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube and uh, and the other um, internet search engines and stuff so uh be worthwhile looking into those things but yeah take everything with a pinch of salt saw something the other day that popped up on one of my social media feeds where some people were trying to encourage you to plant pyrethrum to keep insects away and the image they put up was of chrysanthemum and uh, I just lost my cool and said, look, you know, it's the constituents within the plant that does the, the insect repelling. So if you grow pyrethrum in your garden, it's not going to keep the insects away. You've got to get the active ingredient out of the plant to become yep. a spray. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to roll around on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, exactly. And it's like these people who tell you that you can, you know, to stop the mozzies by planting certain shrubs in your garden. That drives me insane because <laughs> the mozzies will fly through those things. And so it's the volatile oils that you've got to yeah. get out of those plants. So you'd have to spend your whole time crushing whatever it is. Yes, to and rubbing uh, it all over Yeah, and rubbing it on yourself. But the plant itself isn't going to keep mozzies away. Yeah, no, None yeah. of them will do that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of fable stuff going on out there in the in the horticultural well, world. Shall we call it wishful thinking? Yeah, well, it could be. No, we'll call it good marketing. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yes, it's got to do with marketing with a lot of these things. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so there you go. So I hope that gives her a little bit of an idea anyway. Yes. It's worth having a crack. It's fun. Absolutely. Look, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop. I'm in the studio this morning with Jeremy Francis, Meryl Johnson and Stephen Ryan. If you'd like to give us a ring, give us a call on 94190155 or you can text through a question on 0488 809 Meryl, let's talk delphiniums. Ah, yes. Well, I brought in some seeds today for one of the quite a lot Dowdswell delphiniums that have been bred in New Zealand. Now, when I first heard about these delphiniums, I was a bit like Stephen, I thought, Oh, yeah, somebody's oh, it's a having bit me on. Too t- good to be true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but having grown some, they're right. Mm. And it's a wonderful story about a family of plant nuts, basically, the Dowdswell family in New Zealand, who are just pretty ordinary farmers, you know, just ordinary average family, just blokes. And, uh, and, and Mrs. Dowdswell, of course, who was, played a big part in the whole story. But they were farming for cut flowers as, as well as for nursery production and they just had a passion for delphiniums. So they actually started crossbreeding from their best selected stock and they just started out with conventional delphiniums that you know were available all around the world but they wanted something better and in particular because they were cut flower growers they wanted stouter stems that were much more weather hardy. And growing in New Zealand, also, they wanted something that suited a warmer, hotter, in fact, drier um, southern hemisphere climate, which a lot of the old varieties that had been favourites in England were pretty pampered little delicate souls and they weren't suiting the conditions that they were meeting on a, a farm in New Zealand. So we're in New Zealand, Beryl? Uh, up in the, the North Island. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, quite a quite a difficult condition with okay. with lots of wind from the sea and you know drying winds as as well as quite wet conditions at times, and summer humidity, which was causing a bit of a problem for them. Yeah, so, Auckland, Auckland can be a bit like Sydney. Can't it? Yeah, it so can. Really it's, unpleasant climate. Ex- Who's, exactly. Want to live there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> nice place to visit. <laughs> so they they decided that not only would they try and aim for del- breeding delphiniums with stouter stems, but they would aim for better climate tolerance and especially more tolerance to heat, more tolerance to periods of dry and more tolerance to summer humidity. But, of course, they wanted beautiful flowers and sensational colours because, in the end, they had to sell these things. So that, that was important too. So they started to get by crossing, recrossing, growing the seedlings, testing, eliminating the ones that weren't up to snuff and carrying on with the the good ones and continued to breed those to stabilise the lines so that they would come relatively Mm. true from seed and, and contain all of the qualities that they'd been aiming for. Eventually, they managed to get one that they just absolutely loved called Dusky Maidens, which is a, a beautiful, rich, luscious, dusky pink. And it went on to win the um, Award of Garden Merit, which is a very prestigious award from the Royal Horticultural Society. So that was really the first one that came to international fame with that, that great award. And then people began to discover the Dowdswell delphiniums and that they did indeed have the qualities that they This is well, their surname started with a D because you get a bit yes, of alliteration. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm quite impressed. <laughs> so basically it was a lifetime of breeding work and stabilising these seed lines. And what they also bred for were much bigger flowers on each spike and much more um, packed flower spikes and taller if possible. So these things look absolutely stupendous in a vase if you could ever bear to cut them out of your garden because they, they are so very beautiful. So lots of double flowers in their, their different ones um, and frilly flowers with serrated edges to the petals, not just the ordinary round petals um, and blends of colour. So they started to breed also for the colour of the bee. I mean, this is what gardeners get down to. (laughs) What colour is the the little boss of petals in in the middle of the flower, which is called the bee. So they'd go for sort of a beautiful pink with a black bee or a a sky blue with a white bee in the centre and and started to stabilise those characteristics as well. But it's the shading in some of the Dowdswell's delphiniums that is so beautiful. It's one called Pagan Purples, which really is wickedly, outrageously coloured with a a dark Colbert blue background and then a deep, rich purple shading into the centre with a dark bee as well. So it's a wicked flower, but it is just sensationally um, beautiful. So the Dowdswell delphiniums, they really did spend their life doing this. And, and the dabs were still out there? or They're still fortunately hale and hearty, but have it, just in the last few years they have moved on to another generation because there comes a time for all gardeners when, you know, the back-breaking work in the paddock is just a wee bit 
too much. So there's there's uh, a new couple who've taken it over and are, are continuing. Actually, they're now ex- they're one of New Zealand's great exports. These delphiniums go all around the world in in seed form, um, and and it's just a wonderful story of a lifetime of dedication to. Well, let's hope that it keeps going because uh, a lot of these things, you know, you get somebody who's got really high expectations and they work really hard to get what they want. Mm. But once they go out of the, the thing, then the plant often degenerates back again because the same effort isn't put into keeping, keeping the bloodlines going. going. The yeah. Russell Lupin is a perfect example. I mean, yes. when Mr. Russell first started his Lupins, they were amazing, thick masses of flowers yes. on a stem and really a tall stem. And they were beautiful Lupins. But people started raising almost anything and and calling it a Russell Lupin and still calling it a Russell Lupin but it's still not really uh, of the standard that Mr Russell had I mean he would raise a batch of Lupins and discard 99.9% of them and say that's the the only one that's up to my standards to the fury of all the other nursery (laughs) people who were just gagging to get their hands on them so yeah so let's hope they keep it going well I'm delighted to say that there's a lovely lady called Katrina who's in charge at at Dowdswall's Delphinium so over in New Zealand now, and they've actually stopped marketing them as Dowd's Walls. They've, they've taken on the name of New Zealand Delphiniums. I'm surprised they haven't called them Kiwi something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a, kiwi fruit kept yeah, running yeah, through yeah. my mind too. But it's just a great story of little New Zealand, this tiny, well, beautiful country, but a small population of people who re- have never really understood that they're only a little country. Yeah. They have an ambition as, you know, because Their horticultural industry actually is huge. remarkable. It um, is. And they certainly punch above their weight and always have right. done. Yeah. I remember as a kid when I was over there on a scholarship trip after I'd finished my training, uh, I spent about 12 months in New Zealand working my way around the parks and gardens and nurseries in New Zealand. And it's no longer there, but the old Duncan and Davies nursery that was there was the biggest nursery in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. And they were... They were producing on, I think, about 250 acres. Yes. Uh, and they were sending plants to Spain and Japan and all over the world. I well, mean, they were just the, remarkable. It's yeah. the same with these New Zealand delphiniums, as they're now known. But I, I like to acknowledge the Dowdswell family who just really devoted their lives to it. But okay. they, they're exporting this seed absolutely all mm. over the world to the Actually, there top. is another family I can think of, the juries uh, with their yes. magnolias. Yes, yes exactly. And, and again, they, they, they started off as dairy World farmers. beaters. Yeah, mm. they, yeah, they were dairy farmers. Who, they're humble people, yeah, but just, just started doing growing magnolias. And, thought, mm. and, and that this. takes a bit of dedication when yeah. you consider how long it takes to raise a, de- uh, a delphinium to flowering as opposed to raising a magnolia oh, to flowering yes. uh, and seeing whether you've got something worthwhile moving on with. I mean, that can be decades in mm. the in the creation in the making, and it's yes. the same with a lot of woody plants i mean people who spend their lives breeding rhododendrons i mean for goodness sake can take 10 or 15 years to flower one from seed yeah. uh, and then to chuck it out afterwards because it's not really any good so yeah some magnolias 35 years I've yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so it's yeah it takes some sort of very special sort of person possibly yeah. on the spectrum who is prepared <laughs> to spend that much time uh to try and move a group of plants on into the you know to the next generation so to speak it's just remarkable what some yeah. people do I, I have actually met mark jury and i'm mm-hmm. trying to think which generation he is i think he's number three yeah i was going to say that's a pretty multi-generation <laughs> yes, thing it is. Going on yes. Yeah. Uh, 
it's like what the Coxes a wonderful in thing. England with dwarf rhododendrons. I mean, I think they're in their second or third generation. Uh, uh, started with Peter Cox. I can't remember what the son's name was. Um, and, yeah, they were breeding all mm. sorts of fabulous little miniature rhododendrons um, and bringing all sorts of interesting colours into them and what have you. Um, and if you've got a dwarf rhododendron out there with a bird name like ptarmigan or something like that, that's probably a Cox hybrid. <laughs> so, you know, so they were another family sort of dynasty that sort of... Intergenerational, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is fabulous. But I I also wanted to quickly hand on to the listeners a little tip that I learnt from the New Zealand Delphinium folk or or those who've taken over from the Dowdsville's about sort of quickly germinating Delphinium seed. Delphinium seed's not difficult to germinate as long as you can keep it nice and evenly moist is, is one of the tricks. But if you want to really get a flying start, you need to give them a little trick and and uh, make them think that they've just had a very quick winter. So it's the moisture that helps to break down the germination inhibitors in delphinium seed. That's why you need to keep them consistently moist. But uh, the trick I learned was to take some coffee filter paper, just one of those round mm-hmm. coffee filters, moisten it nicely, Place your delphinium seeds out nicely spaced. They're relatively big seeds, so you can you can do it even without your glasses. Mm-hmm. And just on one half of the coffee filter paper, and then you fold it over so it's like a, a sandwich of, uh, with the seeds in the middle. Put it into a, a plastic bag. A Ziploc bag is good because you can seal it up, press the air out and, and seal it up so it stays nice and moist. And pop it in the fridge. Usually only takes about three days. Good idea to have a little peek each day and make just see if anything's beginning to germinate because they will germinate really, really quickly in those conditions. Mm. And then once they start to germinate, you can take them out. Um, you can use tweezers if you want to pick them up so you don't damage the little emerging new roots and, and shoots that are coming and pop them into your uh, seed raising mix and it gives you a flying start and it also helps to condition the seed and break down that germination inhibitor to stop the dormancy quite quickly so that you get a much greater germination rate. It's easy to do, it's quick and it does help a lot. Beautiful. And do you sell those particular delphiniums? We've got... We've just about got the whole range of their their current offering of mm-hmm. seeds, but the most recent one that we've acquired from New Zealand is a beautiful one called Pink Blush. It's outrageously beautiful and girly and delicate. It's this lovely sort of soft shell pink, and the flowers are just so densely packed and so big. It, it's sort of like a... I don't know, like a great big fox's tail of, of soft, delicate shell pink. Um, and, and that's one of their more recent ones, which I think is a, an absolute winner. But the other one that's a, a great favourite at the moment is that pagan purples because it's so richly coloured. So if you want something that's just wow, knockout, suck you in and the why eye. Why wouldn't we? Why <laughs> wouldn't we? <laughs> and uh, you had a bit of a special offer to offer, did yes, you not? Yes, we do. If people would like to ring in this morning and they have to offer us a question, it can be by text message or by phone call, however you would like to do it. But if you would do that and leave your name and address 
with our lovely people in the uh, the control room there, then I will send you out a packet of wonderful cut flower varieties to, to sow now. That's very nice of you, Meryl. That's a pleasure to our listeners. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's uh, get on to another text. Um, Miriam from Croydon would like to know, well, first of all, she says, thanks for a wonderful show. Thanks, oh, Miriam. Uh, life has gotten gotten in the way. Yes, know the feeling. And I haven't pruned my raspberry plants. Can I do it today or is it too late? I don't think it's too late. Yeah, not I, at all. I, I'd no. still do it. I mean, yes. it, is, it, is, it is late. But, but not too late. <laughs> and, and I don't think the raspberries will care. I mean, really, when you think about it, they're almost indestructible. Yes, so, they are. They're, you know, they're nearly blackberries yeah they're nearly blackberries they're just (laughs) slightly refined blackberries Um, and yeah look if they need doing just do them sometimes the time to prune things is when you've got the time to prune things Um, so you know I'm Always up to do a job when I fit, when I've got the time, time to do to it. Time to do sometimes. it rather than not doing yeah. it. Yeah, and yes, I'd rather do it. Yes, so today, yes. go out there and deal with them today. So right now, fine. lovely yeah. weekend. And if they, uh, you you just need to have a little think about which variety they are. Are they ones that um, fruit on new wood, or are they ones that fruit on old wood? So you don't cut out the fruiting wood. Yeah. But a, a good rule of thumb is if it's a really old, you know shoot branch whatever sprout and and the uh, it's very tough bark then you can cut it right back to the ground and leave the nice fresh ones coming away that's the way i do mm. yeah cut out all the old stuff and keep nice Beautiful. Fresh growth coming. So Beautiful. there you go. Job for today. Job for today. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've got a million plants to get through. Jeremy, let's do something. Right. Um, well, we'll start with one or two perfume plants and and the camellia, um, which I was thinking was high perfume. I checked it last night, thank goodness, because it's actually a high fragrance. <laughs> and uh, I think it, uh, you might know, um, Stephen, but a... Uh, Lachuensis hybrid? Yeah, oh, yes. possibly, yes. Yeah, because yeah, that uh, does it's have a, a scent. It's a, it's a, yeah, so this is a big formless flower, soft pink, but with quite a good perfume. So if you want and to it's not something it, most people think about with camellia, is no, it? No, that's no, right. no, most of them are, are without perfume, yeah. completely without perfume. One or two of the species uh, 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 have a slight perfume. So, uh, but th- this one's not too bad. Otherwise, it's uh, a little bit formless, unfortunately. So, I think the breeders need to do a bit more work with them. But all the same, um, the other, um, but something though with an absolutely outstanding perfume is a um, viburnum. It's a now. This is a Carlesii hybrid. Really, should have Carlesii, <laughs> but ours is not quite flowering yet. But this is Fulbrook. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the two or three best of the hybrids is now Carlesii. Viburnum Carlesii is notorious for being the ultimate garden shrub for perfume. It's also really difficult to propagate. It's a bugger of a plant. <laughs> and uh, going back to uh, uh, lowering plants here, well, this is one you'd layer. Yeah. I, I, I did, uh, I, we, we did offer a half a dozen uh, grafted. Oh, grafted for uh, And I can't remember who did them. Yeah. Uh, certainly it wasn't me. Well, I have and, to say most of the Carlisi I've seen out in the trade have all are, been uh, Juddie Eye yes. or one of the yeah, hybrid exactly. ones yeah, and, and not and, straight Carlisi uh, And all. this is a problem because you'll see uh, uh, Viburnum's labelled Carlisi and they're not. Yeah. We, we actually have Carlisi in our nursery and if you want to come along and 
and and uh, actually uh, enjoy the perfume. Most probably next weekend. Yeah, yeah, and but um, Fallbrook, Juddy Eye, and there's what half a dozen or so others, but most probably Juddy Eye and Fallbrook come closest to Carlisle. Yeah. Yeah. They also have quite good um, autumn colour. Yes, it's they a do. soft yeah. matter. Bad bush. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, you know, without a lot of pruning and stuff, they still make a quite yeah. respectable looking plant. Unlike Viburnum burkwoodii, which tends to stick out in all Look sorts like of odd a bird's angles. Nest. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's sort of unruly. Um, and uh, so I think the yes, the Juddii Carlisii group all make sort of quite nice, elegant looking bushes. Yeah, and and uh, the autumn colour is very persistent as mm. well. So they're they're fabulous things. We've got a heap of epimediums, but maybe if you'd like to yeah, let's one, move on to the Stephen. Other two, All right, yeah. well, other I, I better talk about the one that's going to take the most talking about, in a sense, to start with, and that's the little South American tropiolum tricolor, which is basically a perennial nasturtium. Um, climbing, climbing, yes, and it has a tuber under it like a little woody potato. Uh, it dies down in the summer, uh, so it's winter growing, late winter spring flowering. As soon as you get some really warm weather, the plant will start to crumple and, and fall down. Uh, the tubers need to be kept really dry during the summer months. Uh, I generally tap them out of the pots or boxes I'm growing them in and actually store them dry and then wait till about the end of February when you'll just see little whiskery shoots start to come on them and then I pot them all up. Uh, and it has these amazing sort of, I reckon they look like old-fashioned wooden spinning tops. Yes, they you know, do. They, they've got a, a spurred Long flower uh, and it's sort of, black towards the end, it's red at the top, or orangey red at the top, black towards the mouth, and inside is yellow, hence tricolour, so three colours. Um, and it's a great little plant to run up other things that are still dormant in the winter. Um, and one year I had, I haven't got the plant in the garden to do it with anymore because the actual plant died, but one of the best things I ever did was put a pot of it underneath a canary bird rose. And I had this canary bird in the garbage. It's a big sort of archy, close to species rose yep. uh, with big, long archy canes and very early, bright yellow single flowers it's a, on. Usually the first rose to flower. Yeah, it is. It's it? really early. So it came out with this and I had this growing underneath it. And of course, the tropiolum will cling to the stem. So it ran along the arching canes of the rose. And it was drop dead gorgeous. I mean, it was a bit gaudy, but then anything in the in, in the spring that's doing that sort of thing. I like spring and autumn to be gaudy. Exactly. Other times of the we, year, we're doesn't sick matter. of winter. We need yeah. lots of colour. Yeah, yeah. I so, agree. Yeah, so bright yellow with bright orangey red. Uh, it was just. A lot of fun. Um, these days, I've got it mainly in my garden growing up through an Escalonia hedge. I was going to say the best place for them, if you want to leave the bulbs permanently in the ground, is underneath a hedge. Yeah, because so it, it keeps them dry. dry. Yeah. Yes. Well, I have to say, when we had that really wet year a few years ago, wet summer, um, I don't remember what it was, it was just after the millennial drought anyway, um, quite a number of my tubers even rotted out under the Escalonia hedge. So uh, if enough moisture gets in there, yes, they can rot out. Uh, but it's fabulous. It runs up through this dark green hedge. It's all in flower at the moment. So you've got this dark green hedge with all these little red flowers all through it. Uh, and I don't have to prune the hedge um, before the tropiolum goes dormant. So it dies down. Uh, then the hedge goes mad in growth. And then I trim the hedge and, there's, and it doesn't hurt the tropiolums because they're dormant already. Yes. So I think they're a great little plant, uh, but you just need to understand their growth pattern uh, and their requirements uh, to keep them happy. Uh, and they're fairly easy once you've got that sort of in your head. And they can climb quite high. Oh, yeah. They've got a, a three metres easily. Exactly. If you they've know. got a, 
a hedge to climb through, oh, yeah. they'll come out at the top. Yeah, yeah. so they, they can get quite big, and even from a comparatively small tuber. And in fact, when you tap out your pot hole them, and I always keep a core stock in pots because if I, do be get sure. a, if I do have a problem with them in the garden, I've still got those I've dried out. But you can have some that are only the size of a pea, uh, and you plant that, it'll still come up and flower. Yeah. So, you know, the size of the tuber doesn't seem to matter much. And occasionally I'll end up with a, an old tuber that's about the size of a sweet potato. Um, and uh, they multiply, so you get more and more from tubers. And I have found that they will self-seed a bit too. So I've, get it, I've got self-sown seedlings that have come up in parts of my hedge where I know I didn't plant them. So they've got to be seedlings that came up. Do they stay true to colour? The they do, although ones, it's yes. interesting because I've seen it growing in the wild in Chile. And there was some colour variation in the wild populations. Yes. But we seem to have bought in this really bright orangey-red one uh, with the black and yellow. And that one's stable. And that seems to be fairly stable here. I've never seen a colour break in them. But when I was in Chile, I saw some that were almost um, salmon in colour. Oh, so, they'd be delightful. Yeah, yeah, so there was some really interesting colour variation in the wild. So I would have liked to have been able to label the plant that was particularly nice and then come back and collect the seed from it yes. a couple of months and later. Keep your fingers crossed. Yeah, and then <laughs> brought it home and then tried to get some colour breaks in it. Um, but look, the red, black and yellow one is so cute and it's it, it just makes you smile when it's in flower. It it's does. such a fun little flower. It's, it's, like it's a real talking point plant, oh, yeah. like isn't it? Pixie hats. Yeah, yeah. Court jesters. And I love uh, those those climbers that die right, ba right back. Yeah. They're yeah. just so useful, aren't they? they like are. I've got hops and yeah. you just let it die down and then you pull off the, the, the yeah. dead branches and then come spring it's just started again now and it goes up and, and yeah. creates so a nice quick. cover. And yeah. yeah. From from a standing and, not yeah. to 60 is about, you know, 30 And you seconds. don't have all that dormant stuff that you have in a classical deciduous climbers so yeah. you know some of them can look rather sticky and ugly in the winter and they still often cut down light and things if you're trying to grow them over a pergola or what have you so having something herbaceous is fantastic but I find herbaceous perennial climbers is probably the hardest thing in the nursery to sell mm. because most people when they're coming in for a climber are looking for something to hide something and yes. so they can't get their head around the idea of something it's going that to disappear things yes. all the time yes. um, <laughs> but I think we have uh, far too few herbaceous perennial climbers uh, because you can let them run up through all sorts of different things, yeah. double and the value of the spot. That's um, right. And they don't, they're light. And yeah, they won't they swamp don't the, harm host. the host. Yeah, no. and so I just think they're such valuable plants and I'm always on the lookout for more. Actually, that reminds me, Meryl, have you got any of the perennial sweet peas <laughs> growing in your garden? Uh, yes, we do. Because I lost things. my, I had the white, I had the pink, and I had that beautiful blue one yes. uh, years ago. And it was only quite recently when I was thinking herbaceous climbers. I don't have any of those perennial peas anymore. Left. They've just disappeared. So I need to find them I again. I shall send you some. Oh, that would be <laughs> lovely, because I really did love those because they were great value for summer colour. Yes. Um, and, and lovely cut flowers. They yeah, last extremely well. Yeah. They don't well have the perfume of no, the but, annual sweet pea. But, but lovely colour and yeah, they last well yeah. in a vase. And I believe and a perennial pea is a, is a medical impossibility. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Took me a moment. It took me a moment too. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very Another good, Stephen. So anyhow, so tropiolum tricolour, uh, all of the tropiolums are South American uh, mm -hmm. in origin. And it's not a huge genus, but there's some that are really easy. There are some that are woefully difficult to keep. Tropiolum speciosum, the summer flowering flame creeper one, which is sometimes called the Scottish flame creeper only because it grows really well in Scotland, not because it comes from Scotland, uh, can be 
enormously difficult to establish in your garden. The blue one is urium. I've grown it umpteen times. It grows from seed. You get it up into flower in the first year. These beautiful, exquisite blue flowers goes down into dormancy and then the tuber won't break dormancy again. Mm. And so I lose it almost every time I raise it and I haven't got any of it at the moment. Um, and then I've got one called ciliatum, which is a summer growing one with yellow flowers oh, with red yeah. veins and it's an absolute yeah. thug. I can't, can't get rid of it. <laughs> if you plant it, it's just there forever. doesn't matter what you do, you can't get rid of it. Um, so, yeah, so there's a whole range of different sort of um, uh, qualities amongst the tropiolums. So there's some that are virtually impossible through to some that could be potentially weedy. Um, uh, and enormous variation in colour and form and what have you. I think they're a great group of plants. Yes, mm. they are. Yeah. Very rewarding. Yeah. So there you go. So tropiolum tricolour. Do it. Will I do another one? Yeah, do yeah. another one. All right. Well, I had to bring along uh, a tuna. Uh, some people would know it as Cidrella still. Um, and it's just starting to come out to leaf now. And you'll all have seen them around. They're this very vertical, small tree. And in the spring, their leaves all come out and they're bright, hot pink. Um, the leaves stay pink for quite a while. Then they go through a sort of a whitish phase to go green later. Um, but the reason I put it along was uh, something I found out only a couple of years ago, much to my annoyance that I didn't know it before, it's edible. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, there you go. I'll have a little chomp. I trust uh, you, Stephen. It's, I will it's, chomp. It's, 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 it's umami. <laughs> it's got it's, a, an almost veggie mighty. It's, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. it smells of radishes. I, I find that, and it's and it reminds yeah. me of another yeah. Chinese tree, the Chinese pistachio. Yeah, yeah, and 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 likewise, that's meant to be edible as well. Yeah, well, well I've, I, I've tried, tried I've, I've tried eating it, and it's yeah. not, no, not well, terribly this is, exciting. This is fine. You can you can. Uh, d- you can throw it in a salad. Uh, I think could. it's used sometimes in stir fries and tempuras and things like that. Uh, and I've been getting quite a number of, um, of Japanese and Chinese people coming into the nursery looking for it. So uh, it's starting to uh, catch on as a, a, an edible. But you eat the leaves while they're still pink. Yes. Uh, once they go green, they're hard and chewy, so you wouldn't be bothered. Um, and it's a really striking little tree i mean it has a tendency to sucker a little bit so you do have to be aware that you could end up with more than one um but it's not overly rampageous so i think it, I, I just think it's one of those in your face looking little trees in the spring uh, it was really popular back in the 1950s and 60s it was. and then it sort of seemed to disappear out well, of cultivation main, mainly because it suckers if if it's in a happy spot yeah it can Suck yeah. it quite aggressively. But don't you think gardeners are funny people? They whinge if they can grow something and they whinge if they can't. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you know, I always say to people when they say, oh, but it's suckering, I say, aren't you lucky? Yeah. <laughs> you dig them up, yeah. uh, I always say to people when in my garden, when suckers come up, I dig them, pot them and sell them to some other sucker. <laughs> sucker for a sucker. Yeah. So, yeah, so I just think the it's now tuna sinensis, but you'll still see it often labelled as cidrella. Um, and it, it's one of those plants I have a soft spot for it, and you'll see a lot of them up around the Dandenongs. There's yes, lots of gardens yes. up there with ancient old ones. Um, I think they're really quite something. I think it should be called flamingo too. Yeah, it's a yeah, cultivar called a, flamingo. Yeah, yeah. And, and where um, it cropped up is rather intriguing because uh, right throughout Australia they're always pink and nowhere else. Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, uh, some Australian material was sent to England and, and English nurseries put the name flamingo yeah. on it. And quite recently... 
you know, in the last 15, 20 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so the wild form is... of the tree doesn't have pink leaves. But there's yeah. something weird about it because the wild form of the tree doesn't grow as a an upright, so narrow vertical. plant either. Yes. Yeah. The wild version is a spready canopy tree and it doesn't tend to sucker. And this one apparently is also sterile. Um, so it's not going to see it into the bush no. under yeah, I, 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 My suspicion is it cropped up somewhere in the dandenongs well, <laughs> very early on. And, uh, and, and I know it's, it yeah. it's mm. been very popular in New Zealand as well, and sometimes we, we know what the New Zealanders like. They actually claim its origin. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, heard. maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, um, yeah, you see it a lot in New Zealand gardens if you happen to be there in you know, early spring. Uh, there's oodles of cidrellas around in their gardens as well. But, yeah, the cultivar name Flamingo should be put on the plant. Yes. Um, and it doesn't look anything like the wild form. So I wonder whether it's sort of some sort of genetic aberration or it can't be a hybrid because as far as I know, there's only the one species yes, involved. Exactly. So, so it's just, it's just some sort of mutant that's, that's cropped up. Um, but I assume that the green-leafed one that doesn't go pink is probably still edible but used when it's really young. So what about the, these ones? That's only edible when those leaves are really little? When it's yeah, when it's really yeah. really soft and, and pink. Uh, and actually they look gorgeous, so they'd actually be lovely in, in, yeah. in dishes. Mm. And, and it's things. got a peppery aftertaste. Yeah. It's quite vegetable-y yeah. at first, and then it's got this Yeah, so it's a really, aftertaste. really interesting sort of plant that, you, you know, um, and... There's two trends at the moment that we've just got to get our heads around. Indoor plants and edible plants Yes, are the two big trends out there in horticulture. Um, And so if I can offer people something I know they can eat, uh, it's another way of selling it. (laughs) Even better for growth in your bedroom. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. We've got breakfast already. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so I thought tuna would be an interesting plant to engage with. Beautiful. So there we go. Have we got anybody ringing in? Uh, We have got a few. Um, first of all, Meryl, can we grow delphiniums in a big pot? Absolutely. That's where I actually keep my Dowdswell delphiniums mm-hmm. because I don't want to chance the snails. Yeah, that is one issue with delphinium, it isn't is. it? It is. So a big pot is perfect. And if you want to be absolutely certain, you can just put one of those little copper strip bands that you can buy you know, in any good hardware shop um, around the pot so the little critters can't even climb the pot but I have no trouble with my delphiniums in big pots I've got them standing beside the the chook run and they are coming up into spike at the moment and looking absolutely fantastic delphiniums like a you know a goodly amount of feed so I make sure I pop a little bit of um, (coughs) organic life pellet fertilizer on it every time I think about it Two or three times a, a summer would be good. Perhaps a little bit of slow-release fertiliser to keep them pegging along. The beaut thing about the Dowdswell delphiniums is they are much more repeat flowering than the old varieties as so well. So it's not so a sort of one-off hit. Not at all, yeah. no. You, you keep cutting the spikes for the flowers indoors if you wish or just enjoying them and then deadhead the spikes right back to the ground and more will come virtually straight away. They're very productive. So big pot, ideal suggestion. Yeah, and could. and the longevity of the plants, Meryl. How, uh, yeah, they're very I, robust. Yeah, I, I was growing delphiniums, which gradually lost the snails first thing in the spring and not yeah. paying attention. But I did have one or two of them going for about 
20 years. Yeah, the, I think the Dowds also do that yeah. happily. And and dividing yeah, uh, every year or two. Every two, three years yeah. divide yeah. up just so that you take those new fresh young shoots mm. from around the edge of yep. the clump. But uh, if you do a different one each year, then you've got that continuous production. You don't have to be doing it all the time, that's for sure, especially oh. when they're well fed. Beautiful. Um, all right, asparagus, how much sun? As much as possible. Yeah, full sun for yeah. hours. Summer sun doesn't need winter sun, of course, because no, it dies yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. they're dormant, it yeah. really wouldn't matter that yeah. much. But, yeah, most vegetables like full sun. There's yeah. not that much stuff that you can grow in the, uh, in the edible sphere um, that likes shade. So, you know, open sunny aspect, try and avoid root competition from big trees nearby, uh, feed your asparagus well. Yes, they're, they're quite very greedy plants. Yeah, so yes, yes, I I put about four bags of horse manure on mine was, this year. I got to say, there can never be enough poo for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I always keep my eyes on the side of the road for people selling bags, bags of manure. Of poo. <laughs> and um, so yeah, so I I put some manure around ours this year, and then I because it was horse manure, I mulched over the top of it because you always get lots of weed growth with horse manure if you leave it sitting on the top, um, and they're loving it. I've actually got a, a sort of double bunger space in our asparagus bed because the asparagus is just starting to emerge now and we're harvesting the shoots. But we've had in that space the winter lettuce, the land oh, lettuce. Oh, yes. Because yeah. the, the asparagus is down during the winter, but the, the winter lettuce thrives, so you get mm. a double crop yep. out of the space. Yep. Yeah, very clever. Yeah, Okey so dokey. there you go. Uh, I have a native frangipani that's about two metres tall and thriving. There's a branch low down that I neglected to cut off. Can I remove it now and would a new tree come from it? I mm. guess that depends on how big the branch is. Um, yeah, to- look, I'm not mad keen on pruning when things are in really active growth because some things will bleed. I don't know about the native frangipani, but certainly if you prune a grapevine this late in the season, it'll ble- it'll bleed badly. Mm-hmm. And birches will as well if they're pruned too late. Um, I'm not quite sure what the um, listener means by will a new tree grow from it. I'm assuming... Maybe if they plant that branch. Yeah, you know, if they're talking about cuttings, that's yeah, a little a more complicated. Yeah. It's not that easy to strike them from cuttings. Um, and certainly, depending on how big the branch is, you're likely to get more growth come from that point because when you prune, things will shoot from where you've pruned. But if you prune off fairly flush with the trunk, then that will probably stop it growing from It'll that point. It'll callus if, over. Yeah, if, mm. you, if you want to trunk it up into the air uh, so if you leave a stub though it will shoot from the stub mm. so. okay good all right Meryl let's get on to a couple more of your seeds oh okay well as I said I wanted to concentrate today on things that were great for cut flowers um, and but are just really hardy and easy to grow and there's a good old-fashioned honesty I'm sure everyone knows what I mean uh, often called the silver dollar plant mm. because it, it's just a self-sowing biennial with... Uh, yes, it's a liar for something that's honesty because it's 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 called uh, Linaria annua, yeah. but it's a biennial. It's a biennial. Yeah, so it's a liar. It's, it's a not liar honest in at its all. Name. No, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good, true, honest, yeah. hard worker in mm. the garden and uh, does well at our place under big old trees and shrubs, which is a, a pretty tough environment. Um, it's a great cut flower in its flowering form, but even better in its seed pod form. And then it well earns the name the, the silver dollar plant because it, it does, well, 
seed pods that are bigger than our dollar coins mm. um, and translucent. They're lovely with the, the light shining from behind them. But the one I particularly wanted to bring to people's attention is a, a brand new one that's uh, just come out. For, well, it was originally found by Beth Chatto in her own garden in uh, Essex in England. And it was just one of those chance seedlings. Well, Beth was a woman who never let a good plant get away from her. Mm. And she found this seedling in her garden that had beautiful sort of, oh, how to describe it, dark purple sort of beetroot blood coloured leaves, but the usual pink, pinky purple flowers and the silver dollar seed pods. So she treasured that seed and continued to breed it on year after year. And now we have seed available for it in Australia. So it's called Lunaria annua chedglow, um, or of course, Honesty, and it was much propagated by Rosemary Veery as well, who's another great, great name in in international gardening. But I love it for its foliage because, um, yes, a variegated honesty is is quite nice. The traditional one is just a plain green leaf, and a, so this this beautiful dark beetroot purple foliage really does add something to the garden. Uh, another very old-fashioned thing is Dame's Violet or Hesperus matronalis. Mm. And I love this for cut flowers because it's an evening night-scented plant. It's attracting night-flying pollinators, butterflies and moths rather. And uh, so it, it's particularly strong as the light goes down. It's perfumed all day long, but lightly in the daytime, but very heavily, beautifully perfumed in the twilight and across the night and, and in the early morning. So Dame's Violet, and uh, traditionally it's always just been a, a, a purple head of single sort of cruciform t- uh, style flowers, quite large heads. They, they really do show up in the garden well, quite a tall and willowy, wispy plant with the traditional purple heads, but we're lucky enough now to have a pure white flowered form as well, which is very elegant and really useful in the conditions that it likes, which is in the shade under trees and shrubs. So it's a good, hardy, self-sowing thing. And actually cut flowers are a bit like vegetables. Most of the ones you'd grow as cut flowers need to be out in open sun. Whereas this one... Yes, something like that that will grow back into the shade. So anything you can eat or cut that you can grow in the shade is is quite good because the shade is normally all about just textural foliage plants, really. Exactly, and to to get something flowering Mm. really showily like the... the Ched Glow, um, Honesty, and the, the Dame's Violet flowering, you know, quite tellingly mm. in a heavily shaded spot. But something for more sunny conditions that's really tall and a knockout plant is Liatris Aspera, or the Tall Blazing Star. And this is one that uh, cut flower growers in Australia have been desperate to get their hands on for, for quite a long time. We deal with a lot of commercial cut flower farmers and uh, they, they were very excited when they, we finally offered them some Liatris Espera uh, seed. It's called Cat's Tail uh, as a common name. Uh, the whole family rejoice in the name of Cat's Tail, but that really does describe what the flowers are like. They're very tall, spear-like 
flowers with fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy little filament flowers all all coming up the stem. So a quite quite a lovely thing, but a terrific commercial cut flower in that they last for ages, both in the garden and in the vase. But this tall one can get up to 1.5 metres high. So that is a very impressive cut flower. And, and growing from a perennial bulb. It is. It's yeah. sort of like a bulbous perennial, mm. all, all the Leatris family. Yeah, those, tough those, as old yeah, roots. Tough, well, tall plants, tall darrow plants are really, really useful in the garden. And this one <laughs> looks extraordinary. I, I must admit I've not come across it. Well, so. it's, it's, <laughs> I don't think jealous. it's really been known in Australia, but yeah. it's been seen in, in books and particularly amongst commercial yeah, cut flower yeah. people. So they're a bit excited about getting their hands on this one. Yeah. The asterisk is a little bit too dumpy, generally speaking, but exactly. this just, just elegant. <laughs> if the label's right, <laughs> it looks That's fantastic. The and Meryl Pitt can dwarf against it to take the picture. Did no, you? Isn't no, that no. they do with pumpkins? <laughs> no, I didn't even get down on my bended knees. <laughs> Meryl, these are available on your website. They are indeed. They're with, all available. And that seedscape yeah. Uh, no, sorry, seedscape.net. .net. Dot .au. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I am A.B. Bishop. I'm in this studio with Meryl Johnson, Stephen Ryan and Jeremy Francis. And um, we just had a call for the date for the Australasian Native Orchid Society show. That's on the 23rd and 24th of September. So next, next weekend at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. Jeremy, let's get to some of your beauties. <laughs> well, uh, 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 epimediums by the by the barrel load. Um, yeah, so the, the, the antique perennials uh, imported, well, an extraordinary number of these some years back, um, well over 100, and they've gradually been figuring out which ones doing, are doing best for us and which ones uh, are not worthwhile growing. So they're working their way through to, what, well, 20 or 30 uh, of, uh, quite Selected. extraordinary plants, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, colours ranging from white to yellow to orange, uh, more especially pinks um, and purples. And, and uh, even uh, deep uh, wine reds. Yeah, yeah. Lovely starry flowers. They have quite a mixture of foliage, and this is the main thing. The, 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 the flowers are good for so many weeks, but the foliage is good for 12 months. Generally speaking, there are a few herbaceous ones as well dying uh, dying uh, to the ground in winter. And the foliage, uh, well, uh, for instance, I have something called spine tingler here. The Americans have been doing a lot of work with them, so there's some yeah, so number of American the names. names. Yeah. They can't help themselves, can yeah. they? But, but this is an extraordinary plant, uh, a, a good yellow spidery flower, um, what, uh, about uh, 50 centimetres across, narrow petals, but... Uh, a beautiful thing, but the the foliage, narrow serrated leaves, uh, and, glossy. And, 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 and glossy and mm. just superb. Um, and others have uh, quite a lot of foli- uh, colour in the new foliage. We uh, we've grown about twenty or thirty of them through Cloud Hill, and we try and make a point of taking them back with a whippersnapper yes. in winter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get rid of the old foliage. Uh, of the evergreen types because the new foliage coming up, it doesn't uh, slow them down at all. 
um, the, the, the flowers come up and then the new foliage underneath the flowers and the effect of the new flowers uh, of the flowers coming up uh, over the new foliage is absolutely Gorgeous. breathtaking these things look as though they're going to be really difficult to grow they're not they look pretty straightforward they're pretty straightforward they enjoy they, 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 they uh, don't mind root competition in fact they provide root competition eventually they just take over an area and and um, and there they are um, and and they uh, the best in shade through to about half sun to three quarters mm-hmm. sun there's not too many that will grow happily in full sun they actually prefer some shade mm. and dry shade dry ish shade at least yeah where it's so difficult to grow plants um, the other ones I have this morning are hot lips another, another American, American. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but absolutely superb a double uh, 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 two tones of pink uh, there's a sham, uh, pink champagne which is a softer more subtle effect and uh, dark beauty which um, uh, um, I might say the um, um, pink champagne the leaves are mottled so green yeah, some of them brown. get that sort of spotty effect, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, which but can be quite quite appealing. It's oh, different. This, this is very elegant. This mm. is uh, you know, modelling can look as, uh, pretty disgusting. Yeah, well, it can <laughs> in some plants. Yeah, yeah it just looks but, diseased. But not this one. This yeah. is brilliant. Is mm. yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah, it does, yeah, can look diseased. Um, and dark beauty again, which is a suffused, uh, warm. Uh, a hint of mahogany through the green, which will gradually turn green over the next few weeks. There's a huge range of them. Um, we're uh, stocking a lot more of antique perennials in the diggers' uh, nursery at Cloud Hill, starting from about <laughs> four weeks ago, actually. So we're putting aside one whole section of the nursery to to try and have their complete catalogue. Um, and starting with their epimediums. So if you want to see epimediums, a range of epimediums pop in over the next few weeks. Mm. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful plants. Wonderful foliage, great flowers. One of their common names is uh, flying doves, and that really mm. does describe the shape and one of, of the their other con- common names is barren wart. Yeah, well, because, <laughs> it, because it will grow where it's barren. It's a great name. No, actually, it's not got anything to do with that. It's got to do with fertility of ladies. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> What's the connection? Oh. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether it was actually used as an abortive or whether or it, was it was to promote fertility. To promote, yeah, yeah okay. but it was used to deal with um, childbirth in some way or another, hence barren wart. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's only two or three species uh, uh, native to Western Europe. Yeah, yes, and, most of and the hotspot for them is China, mm. and it's it's and it's the plant hunters of the last 20, 30 years yeah. who've gone uh, mad who, on them. since China has well opened up uh, over the, from the nineteen seventies. They've suddenly realised that epimediums are not half a dozen plants. Yeah, no, there, oh, are, there are several hundred of them. Yeah, there's yes. a lot of species out there now. Yeah, so. one of the ones I like best of all has a fairly rounded heart-shaped leaf, not a long pointed leaf, a very rounded leaf. And it starts out the new foliage with a black rim around yeah, the well, there's edge. There's one called Bandit with a, yeah, uh, yeah, and the... 
yeah, exactly right. The, the leaves are rimmed, a, yeah. a very rich uh, mahogany, and then pale, and, uh, very soft green in the middle with white flowers. And and then uh, the one I'm thinking about, the, the black rim actually then takes over the leaf and the leaf goes very, very ah. dark. <laughs> There's Look, several of them. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> all, all worth having, especially when yes. you've got lots yep. of trees and shrubs to yep. accommodate underneath yep. of. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks, Jeremy. That's, mm. um, yeah, a, a nice little uh, row of um, pots there. So, yeah, so yeah. Once the, I was in the audience and it yeah. tickled Very me. Cute. You yeah. said, just really an epimedium plant. Them. You don't want to do Come on, say the John Patrick joke. I better do the John Patrick joke. It's a dad joke. It's a good one. It's a definite dad joke, but anyhow. All right, Stephen. All right. Talk about something useful. All right. Exocorders are just coming out at the moment, the pearl bushes. They are quite large, bulky shrubs. This is one called the Bride, which is a sort of a, an archy shrub. can get to about three metres tall by about three metres wide. So it's not a plant you put in uh, willy-nilly. You need to think it through to allow it the space that it needs to show itself off. And they, they are basically of interest only in the spring. Uh, they go yellowish in the autumn before their leaves shed, so they do something, but not that overtly but in the spring they have these little white uh, flower buds that look just like pearls heads pearl bush and then they open up to this uh, quite open white blossom uh, and the whole plant will be just a mass of white when it's in flower it's just lovely they when are they're beautiful be- they are you know, and they make such a nice shaped shrub yeah too. they do but you allow have to allow space people do. don't give them enough room uh, I'm even struggling with the one in the garden at home of the bride because it was planted probably fractionally too close to the driveway and so and I, it's arching yeah, and out it wants to keep arching <laughs> over whacking you in yeah. The windscreen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and people with uh, car proudness issues won't drive up my driveway. But anyhow, um, it's um, they're fairly hardy. They're, they're, they'll cope with sun semi-shade. They're not particularly worried about soil types. They don't like wet feet, so they don't like to have poorly drained soils. But otherwise, they're reasonably hardy, reasonably quick growing, and they do make a wonderful billowy mass of pure white in the spring. So I do like the exocorders. There's probably about three or four different forms out there. They're all white-flowered, and the main difference is in leaf size or shape of bush. So the bride is quite an archy one. Um, uh, straight uh, coral cowie eye is quite an upright one. There's one called Serratifolia snow white, which has slightly bigger leaves and bigger flowers, which is a fairly upright vertical shrub. Um, so there's a range of them out there, but they all have similar characteristics. So Exocorda or pearl bush. Very and, nice. And I think they're a very nice Asian deciduous shrub. So yeah. well worth growing. And the Good final colours. thing I brought along I managed to knock over. Uh, so I've broken one flower off and the other one's only hanging tenuously on. But anyhow, I've got some more of it at work that are looking much better than the one I thought I was putting in the van as the best one. Um, and it's a little bulbous plant. It's not truly a bulb. It's actually a corm underneath uh, from South Africa. And they used to be called spiloxenes. And this particular one is now Peridia uh, speciosa, no, Peridia gracilipes subspecies speciosa. Um, and uh, it has star-shaped flowers and it's the most remarkable tangerine orange. Um, and it's one of those bulbs that really pays its way because it sends up a flower. The flower will be out for probably a week to a fortnight, but then you have a succession of flowers coming up. 
So the plant itself will flower probably over a month and a half, two months. So you get quite a long flowering span with it. And this one's actually, well, I broke off one of the flower buds. It's got another flower bud coming down further and it may well have another one below that again. So if you've got a little clump of it, it will flower for weeks and weeks and weeks. It does need an open sunny aspect. The flowers close at night and they won't open if it's a really dull day. So give it a good open sunny aspect. And unlike some of the South African bulbs that can be just a little bit Bit too giving um, and you can end up with them everywhere uh, I've got some Hesperanthus down the driveway at the nursery at the moment and they started off as one little cluster of bulbs I put in now there must be 5,000 of them all the way down the driveway that are a mass of pink and white at the moment which is lovely but uh, it's just a little over the top uh, this is actually quite a moderate little plant it will just slowly over a period make a clump so it doesn't seem to run or take it's off. It's such a lovely cheery pumpkin colour yeah, it isn't is. it? It's a really gorgeous thing. Uh, it's not brash it's no, soft and but pumpkin-y. You, it makes you smile when you walk past it. It's just so happy looking. And I just think it's a lovely little bulb. I just wish it had a slightly easier name. Um, yeah, I've forgotten so, already. Yeah, <laughs> Peridia is the name for... I think most of the Spiloxenes have been moved over into Peridia now. How annoying. Now, it, well, it, it is annoying, but I've actually... I've taken a different attitude to all these name changes because they're happening every day now. Yes. Um, when I find out there's a name change, I take it as a challenge to learn about it. Ah. It's like doing the daily crossword. Instead yes. of being annoyed, <laughs> you see it as a challenge to keep your brain active. Yes. So when a plant's name is changed, I find out about it. I then rationalise whether I'm ready to take on that name straight away <laughs> or not. Uh, most of the time I try to. Uh, and then I officially try and learn it uh, and use it. Yep. Um, but <laughs> it, the worst thing is when they change the name of something and then they change it back again. Yep. That annoys me yes. uh, because I think, well, why did you <laughs> do that in the first in place and then I've got to read the, learn the name. And a, a recent example of that is all of the Chinese potophyllums, the, the may apples. <laughs> I, yeah. I was going to say potophyllums. Yeah, they oh, all moved no, over to no. a genus called Disosma, which was just that little bit close to Diosma for me and it, uh, I didn't like it as a name, but they're all back again. <laughs> so they've all gone back into potophyllum. And, in fact, potophyllums become slightly bigger because there's a very small genus uh, called uh, diphilia, uh, which has now been pushed into potophyllum. So potophyllums actually become a bigger genus. Oh. Uh, so disosma has gone again, and so I just had all my labels changed, uh, and now and I've got to go back again. So, so where does Spotty Dotty come into this? Well, Spotty Dotty is now a potophyllum again. Back to... Right, I've got to give Antique a ring and <laughs> tell them to take their label the back. I will appreciate that because I sent them a message the other day. They had, they'd featured on one of their social media things, um, uh, Melanosalinum discipiens, the sort of giant tree angelica thing that comes from Madeira. And stupidly I sent him a message and said, uh, oh, you do realise it's now been put into the genus Dorcas? And they said, yes, but we've got a thousand labels to use up, so it's <laughs> oh, Melanosaline yeah, yeah. for now. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is fair Frust enough. Frustrating. Yeah. Frustrating. Yeah. Frustrating. Yeah. And, of course, you'll still find most plants under the old name anyway. Well, yeah. You can still Me find... People know the man. Yeah. Yes. So, so what I try and do is if I am going to change the name and I try and keep up, uh, I'll put the old name in as exactly. a synonym. We do too. Uh, and so one of the ones that I'm still trying to really get my head around is Mahonia because they've all been lumped in with Berberus. Oh. And, and I'm still finding that hard to accept. I mean, I can accept the... The theory behind it, because if you look at the flower of a Mahonia and your flower mm. of a Berberus, there's absolutely no difference. They're yeah, yeah. structurally exactly the same, uh, but they're so different in their leaf form and what have you. And growth uh, habits. And growth habits. Um, and they didn't 
well, there's only ever been one or two crosses between Mahonia and Berberus that have worked. So there's only one or two what would have been intergenetic hybrids. Uh, but now all of the Mahonias are under the umbrella of Berberus. And I'm finding that's a bit of a problem mm. to try and get my head around. Yep. But other people are accepting it. I had a request from Ballarat Botanic Gardens the other day for Berberus belii. Um, so they've accepted it. You just have to stop and think for a moment. Yeah, that's right. Now, what was that? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the thing Mahonia. I used to call Mahonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so, uh, and it's funny because the South African uh, Indigenous Bulb Growers Association used one of the peridias as their floral emblem, which was spiloxine, uh, the white one with the black eye in the centre of it. So now, of course, it's peridia. So their, their, their floral emblem has had its name changed. Got which, up. Yeah, must annoy. But yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, yeah. It's, it's what it is. Uh, and one day they'll change the name of Acacia back to what it should be, too. <laughs> <laughs> the Africans will win that argument yes. eventually. All right. Well, let's get to a couple of uh, questions. Uh, so, Gail from Caulfield rang to say thank you for landscaping by Pauline Lane that she bought on the radiothon. Yeah. Uh, Pauline cloud pruned a camellia and recited a bird bath, and now there are lots of birds. Uh, so that's terrific. Her question is suggestions for low plants for a shady border in front of a brick wall. I wonder if the brick wall's copying the sun and creating heat or not. Mm. That's the only If it's in full shade, there's the the problem you always have is people say they've got a shady spot, but then when you really question them they get a blast of sun for an hour and a half mm. in the middle of the yeah. day or something, and yep. it's not really a shady spot in yeah, some yeah. ways. And so there's lots of plants that will grow in permanent shade, and there's lots of plants that will grow in permanent sun, but it's to find the ones that will actually cope with that sort of blast of heat for a short period of the day I, that can be, be difficult. Yes, indeed, you're absolutely right. I'm thinking if it is shady all day long, um, Samasarum makes a beautiful ground cover, really handsome leaves, low carpet of largish heart-shaped shiny leaves beautiful color and you can actually get some forms that have quite nice variegation so you've yeah. got the white sparkle mm. of the variegated leaves but it's the flowers that are really enchanting they're weird they're weird yes they're not exactly pretty. they're not beautiful no. they're weird yeah but interesting it's and like going to a horror movie you part the leaves to see this weird devilish creature flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. yeah but the leaves also have a beautiful scent so if it's somewhere where you're brushing by or yeah they smell gingery they do yeah yes. lovely yeah. beautiful yeah. cinnamony scent and beautiful. of course there's plenty of natives that would suit yes, that situation corias lasiopetalums sure. it, it depends on the size that you're actually looking for yeah, if it's yeah. more of a sort of ground cover yeah. and there's one i've got in the garden at home that i think is absolutely fabulous um is uh pachyphragma macrophylla yes. um it gets rounded leaves they're heavily veined so it's got a really interesting leaf and i've got a carpet of white flowers of it at the moment in the garden mm -hmm. at home it self-seeds itself so yes, it, does it doesn't sort of run no. it makes sort of clumps and they're discrete clumps but they all meet each other yes. and other things will come through it i've got um, cobra lilies coming up through it I've Likewise. got all sorts of other things growing through it. And Pachyphragma is just fabulous. And if it pops up where you don't want it, you just, just dig that one out. out. It's uh, not hard to No, and it. it's a really pretty plant. And it's in the cabbage family, so it's a, um, a cruxiferous thing. And apparently the flowers are edible. 
<laughs> I haven't chomped on no. one. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been meaning to try, but uh, I think that some things are edible but not overly palatable and there is a difference. Um, mm. So uh, so I don't see the need to live on it, but it's a really good plant and it stays yep. comparatively low even and, in flower. And it's tough even in mm. hot, dry summers. Yeah. We've found it very tough. Yeah, it's a, it's a good plant. Pachyphragma macrophylla. Uh, really, really interesting. And I've got a whole batch of it in the garden at home and it's just lovely yep. so i'd recommend that as a possibility and, and pulmonary is another yeah pulmonary is a good low, actually in that group lovely tracky uh, stemmen the russian borage yes. with its big costa like leaves and sprays of blue flowers it's as weedy as hell in the cold climates like up in the danny norms or at Mount it is Mount. very weedy uh, yes. but it's a lovely it's plant it's a good spreader <laughs> it's a good, yeah it covers the ground well um and in less benign climates it's not outrageously a problem or anything so uh it could work uh, as and could some of the comfreys yes oh yes especially the little low growing yeah. carpeting like hidcote with beautiful blue intensely yeah. blue yeah, so there's flowers. lots of possibilities oh yeah really, you know? absolutely I, I think sometimes we look at a spot and we see it as a problem but in fact sometimes it's a it's an it's opportunity a, yeah, it's an opportunity yeah. to have a different habitat yeah. it's like when people come in and say they've got this badly drained spot they're going to put drainage in oh, and say really? no <laughs> if it's badly drained i can think of a whole <laughs> gamut of beautiful plants that but would just love to grow, grow there else. yeah yeah so you you You've got to look at things in a slightly different way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I hope that gives her a few ideas. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Amphiloides, another one. Oh yes, the Good yeah, idea. little blue mm. forget-me-not flowers. Yeah. yeah, or white form. Yes, yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's oodles of stuff that uh, you could use. Yeah. yeah. All so, right. Very good. There we're, we go. We're getting. Very close, perilously close. Per- perilously yeah. close. Uh, the, very quick question. This will be a 30-second answer. Uh, some questions about another tricky spot in my garden. I have a south-facing fence in shade over winter. Sun from mid-spring to summer would love a kiwi to cover the fence, but will sun lovers cope with the shade early in the season? Well, anything deciduous will. Uh, you know, so if you if you plant a, a deciduous vine on the fence or um, a deciduous shrub, they don't need to see the sun until you get into the spring. So mm, once that sun starts now. to get up a little bit, so you could have philadelphuses, you could have um, uh, a whole range of deciduous shrubs, wagelias, all those sort of things, forsythias, all tough, hardy shrubs um, that would cope with those conditions quite well. Yep. So, there's, there's always plenty of plants. I mean, when you think of all the different environments that plants yeah. grow in. Yeah, well, nature abhors a vacuum. There's always something that will grow, even if it's a blackberry or a dock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. All right, guys, look, that's our time. So I can't believe we got through all those plants. Yeah, we did. Um, thank you, Stephen Ryan, Meryl Johnson and Jeremy Francis for coming in and sharing your unbelievable knowledge. I always learn so much and I'm sure listeners do as well when you come in. It's a real treat. Uh, thanks to Di McKenzie for um, producing this morning. We're all waving at her in the other room. Uh, thank you, Liz, so much for doing the socials as usual. And we'll put some photos up um, on Instagram and Facebook so you can have a look. Uh, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Um, I'm A.B. Bishop. So until next week, bye-bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.